0: Yes, well, good morning. Someone who needs no introduction. <laughs> good to be with you. Did you feel your inner Jamaican man in that first song? My goodness. Expected the spirit of Bob Marley to manifest on stage right here. Buffalo Soldier, Dreadlock Rasta. Here. Somebody stop me. <laughs> Hey, it's, um, it's a great time of year, isn't it? Yeah? Pre-Christmas. I think pre-Christmas is almost better than Christmas itself because there's expectancy in the air. There's something about the times. There's something about the season, yeah? And, you know, what's so good about it? We, we as Christians, we, we tend to get on our high horse at this time of year and we, we come up with hackneyed old cliches like, Jesus is the reason for the season. And we get all, you know... Frowny and, re- and legalistic about it. But really, Jesus is the reason for this, and it's in the air, it's in the atmosphere, and we can't do anything about it. It's there, it's there. You go to a shopping centre, I was in a shopping centre the other day, shopping for a secret Santa present, and there's music playing over the loudspeaker, and I was actually being implored by the management of the centre to rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. What a nice thought. Oh, yeah okay good idea I might do that and then a little bit later on before I left I heard the best line of the best Christmas song you'll ever hear and it's and it's what Christmas is all about that line in joy to the world that says let earth receive her king that's it that's it isn't it that is Christmas in a nutshell that's what Jesus came to do in a nutshell let earth receive her king There's uh, just some power in that. And when, you, when you're walking through a shopping centre and, and they're playing church songs, it makes for a great atmosphere, hey? Because when we fit our own story into Jesus' story, it becomes meaningful. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's because you're not an accident or a footnote, you're known by God from the foundation of the earth. And when Jesus came, there was actually a merging of the Godhead with humanity, and that created something. And we're still living in that thing. It's called the kingdom of God, and we're a part of that, yeah? Get excited. Maybe you're here this morning because this is your Sunday habit, this is what you do, this is, what you, this is why, the way you live You come to church. Maybe you're here this morning because of something else. Maybe you're here because something about the season has drawn you. I don't know. But anyway, you're most welcome here. But we're going to take a brief sleigh ride through the (laughs) through the pre-Christmas period in the Bible and see what there might be in there for us. Because there's a lot happening in that period. There's a lot happening. And we want to examine it, have a look. But let's just, as a as a bit of an introductory scripture, I want to read. One of my favourite passages from the Bible, found in Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, chapter uh, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It says this, and it's a well known passage. It starts off by talking about before this, it says, The people who walked in darkness saw a great light. And that's sort of the preamble to this, this verse here. And it says in verse 6 For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establishment with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is a prediction 700 years before it actually happens, the prophet Isaiah predicts a baby who would be born who would change everything forever. God spoke to Israel in the Old Testament through visions, in pictorial language, in such a way that they could hold what he was saying in their imagination. The Bible's full of God giving imaginative pictures to his people of what the world is supposed to look like. He has a picture of what the world is supposed to look like and he speaks that to, to his people in visions so that his original design and creation can, can become embedded in our imaginations and so we can pre-think, pre-believe what he's wanting to do in this world. We can pre-think and pre-believe his world coming to pass in our world, Yeah. But the world had drifted in this period of time a long way from God's original plan for them. And we're going to see this morning just how when Jesus came and encountered individuals, he reestablished God's blueprint for them in their lives. That even though it was predicted and the time was right, it seemed to take everybody by surprise when Jesus came. People were, people were surprised and, they, and even through his earthly ministry, they didn't recognize him. See, when the situation seemed to demand a military leader in Israel, they got a Prince of Peace. When it seemed that it would be appropriate for the Messiah, the coming Messiah, to be a political maneuverer, but God sends instead a wonderful counselor. Something totally different, just, what, just when you least expect it, just what you least expect expect. But let's look at verse 7 again. Verse 7 in that passage says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is talking about the rule of Jesus. It tells us that his rule is increasing, that it's getting more expansive, that it's getting more encompassing and that the future is good and that God's plan for us is increase, yeah? It helps me to believe in an optimistic view of the future, not a retarded declining one, of the church as a bride present and getting herself ready to be presented before, before God, not a declining, diminishing church on the back foot, on the retreat, backed into a corner. That's not us, folks. We are on the front foot. We are on the attack. No matter what circumstances might seem like, no matter... If you watch the news every night, you'd say, no, he's, he's mad. He's nuts. But, it, but no, God's plan is for increase, a church that is burgeoning and moving forward, not declining. And he wants his followers to be moving forward too. Us. He wants us to have increase in our own lives. Looking within that concept, movement forward means change. It means transition. It means pain. It means discomfort. It means the unknown and the unfamiliar. And sometimes that is just too much for people. Sometimes it just overwhelms people and they they say, no, no. No, giving up doesn't always mean going back. A lot of people, when God's purpose comes to them, it's just too much, and they just give up. And give up, giving up doesn't mean going back. It can mean just stopping where you are and saying, "That's enough. I'm just, I'm just going to stay here. It's, it's nice. It's comfortable. Not too much is expected of me." And that, in a sense, is just as bad as giving up. It's not going back but it's just staying where you are. See, progress is one of the imperatives of the story of God. God is always up to something. He's always moving. He's always doing something. The Holy Spirit is never static. He's always agitating in our lives to move us forward, to move us into God's best, to move us into the best version of us that we can be. You have to understand the the context of that verse the religious setting that Jesus came into, it was, it was not favourable. It was not a good, good setting. It was not a good in environment for him to come into when he was born. The religious setting that Jesus came into was overly legalistic. It was, it was something that had evolved. See, if you look between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a gap of like 400 years. And in that 400 years not much happened. It was like God drew the curtain after the book of Malachi and just brought the curtain down on the stage. Everything was dark. And while that curtain was down, he moved, he moved the furniture. He moved the scenes around. He changed the scenes. It was like stagehands came on and moved everything around. And so when the curtain goes up in the book of Matthew, it's a different environment, totally different power has shifted from the east to the west, to Rome. There had been no vision, no revelation, no visitation of God for 400 years. The people of Israel were not used to his presence. They were not used to hearing his voice. They were not used to, in any way, encountering God. And then all of a sudden, in little pockets throughout Judea, God starts speaking again. He starts to move. He starts to begin something. Momentum picks up and things start to happen just when they least expected it. God picks a nobody, a country bumpkin priest called Zechariah from the unfashionable hill country of Judea to be the first recipient of revelation in the new era. And so we'll move into Luke chapter 1 verse 8 and we'll read Zechariah's story. I want to contrast two stories this morning, two encounters with God where God appears to someone by an angel and, and they have two completely different responses. So let's examine that. Luke 1, let's look at Zechariah's response. Verse 8, "'So it happened that as Zechariah was carrying out his priestly duties before God, working the shift assigned to his regiment, it came his one turn in life to enter the sanctuary of God and burn incense.'" The congregation was gathered and praying outside the temple at the hour of the incense offering. Unannounced, an angel of God appeared just to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was paralyzed in fear. But the angel reassured him, don't fear, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, your wife, will bear a son to you. You are to name him John. You're going to leap like a gazelle for joy. And not only you, many will delight in his birth. He'll achieve great stature with God. He'll drink neither wine nor beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment he leaves his mother's womb. He will turn many sons and daughters of Israel back to their God. He will herald God's arrival in the style and strength of Elijah. Soften the hearts of parents to children and kindle devout understanding among hardened skeptics. He'll get the people ready for God. And in verse 18, Zechariah. Zechariah said to the angel, do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man, and my wife is an old woman. But the angel said, I'm Gabriel, the sentinel of God, sent especially to bring you this glad news. But because you won't believe me, you'll be unable to say a word until the day of your son's birth. Every word I've spoken to you will come true on time, God's time. This is, it's actually mind-boggling. There is a priest worshipping God in the temple, and an angel shows up. The angel speaks to him and he says, no, I'm sorry, I don't believe you. It it was proof that the people, the religious people of Israel in those days had descended into what was just mere form without power. There was no, it was religion, basic, pure and simple, form without power. They were going through the motions without any expectation of God moving. He was a man in the very act of worshipping God. And God starts to reveal a plan for his life. And he says, that, no, that won't work. We're, we're too old. We're past it. I'm, I'm, I'm elderly. And the angel says, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> so it's going to happen anyway. So just, you know, and, and, and just to make you not stuff it up with your, with your, with your speech... You're not going to be able to speak, okay? So, and there it was. But when he says, when Gabriel says to him, your prayer has been heard, it actually, if if you were to look into the original language, it actually says, implies, the prayer that you've stopped praying has been heard. See, they would have prayed for a kid, They would have prayed to have offspring. He was a priest. He wanted to continue the priestly line, but but nothing happened. And over the years, they'd just given up. They'd stopped praying. They'd stopped believing. He'd he'd given up and he'd settled. He said, I'm not moving forward. I'm just going to stay here. We're just going to settle for this. We're happy with each other. And then into that, this angel turns up and says, no, bang, it's all going to happen you're being restored to your purpose. And the angel says and you know, even if you don't believe it, it's still going to happen. This is oath level, right? So, this condition is not just common to priests in Israel. This is common to a lot of Christians. We just stall, we sit. My wife is very wise and she has a term for this. She she calls them Christians under house arrest. It's really clever, isn't it? She's very wise. Has great calf muscles too. (laughs) See, Christians under house arrest, they have a measure of freedom, but not the whole lot. They can live comfortably. It's as though you're free. They have space, but it's restricted. They look across the room or out the window and they see people who have more freedom do that you can look across church and see people who are that have that little bit more freedom than you don't have enough freedom to make plans tasted salvation but they don't get to walk in the fullness of God everything seems to be about managing what they've got Christians under house arrest this is a picture of Zachariah and where he was in those times his unbelief had just accumulated in his life the doubt, disappointment had stacked up and it had sort of distilled itself into a stream of unbelief in his life. And the angel attacks that, Gabriel attacks that and says, no, you know, it's going to happen. Six months later, it all happens again. And this time, the response is very different. This is Mary's story. So we move on in Luke, just a little bit further down the page to verse 30. Let's read it together. Verse 30, Then the angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and we will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Similar verse to before. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born to you will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month of her, for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word, And the angel departed from her. What a totally different response. She asks a question, a legitimate question, given the circumstances. But how would you be? You're a 14-year-old, or thereabouts, good girl. You go to synagogue with your parents. You, you, You hear about God. You hear about stories of Jehovah, who used to do things in Israel. There used to be things happening. But there haven't been, hasn't been much happening for a long time. And then all of a sudden, God's there. He's right there. An angel is standing in front of you, outlining your destiny point by point. Suddenly, you're chosen. You're absolutely chosen. You're not invisible anymore. You're on the front page. And her heart in that situation was towards the purpose of God. Whereas Zacharias was oh, I think I'll turn away from that. Her heart was towards what God had for her, and she said, let it be to me according to your word. Word. Suddenly, God is real. She has an encounter. It's a sovereign moment, and she's never the same again. This is actually what happens when you get reconnected with God. See, we're born, we're separate, we're away from his purpose, we're separated from his purpose. When we step into the salvation that he offers us through Jesus, we're reacquainted, reunited with his plan for us. We can step right back into it. We don't get a watered down version or plan B, we get plan A, we can step right into it. I just want to grab a few things from Mary's encounter this morning that I think will help us to walk better into God's purpose, to help us orientate the trajectory of our lives towards his purpose rather than away from it so that there'll be no turning away, there'll be no stalling, but we can walk comfortably into it and, and, uh, and with momentum. God looks at things differently. Let's have a lens change first of all. God looks at things differently to us. He's attracted to things that we wouldn't think he was attracted to that we wouldn't normally associate with a holy God. Jesus was similar. He embodied that when he was on the earth. God is attracted to weakness. His strength is made perfect in weakness. He's drawn to our weakness. He told the prophet Joel to tell us, let the weak say I'm strong. In other words, make agreement with what God says about us, not with what we think, not with what we feel, not with what we see in the environment around us. He's attracted to those who mourn. He says, those who mourn will be comforted. A lot of times when when things go wrong and we're in grief, we step away, step back from God, but he wants us to come into him because those who mourn will be comforted. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. He's actually attracted to sin. He doesn't applaud it. He doesn't approve of it, but he's not intimidated by it. He's not intimidated by it. He tells us that when sin abounds, grace also abounds. He's also attracted to shame. Shame is that voice that says, you're not up to it. You're not, you're not good enough. You are second rate. He's attracted to shame. He says, instead of shame, he gives us the double portion. Shame is enormously good at telling you what you're not, but God tells us who we are. And we make agreement with that. You don't have to carry shame if you're walking with Jesus. Whatever you're carrying, about, carrying, it's purchased. You don't have to camp around it. So instead of emphasizing our inability, we emphasize his ability. That's the lens that we look through. Okay, so let's go through four quick things that Mary shows us in her response to God. The first one we should we should do is get acquainted with discomfort. Most of God working in your life is at least in the initial stages uncomfortable. It doesn't always stay there, but it starts out that way. Mary couldn't possibly have seen when she, she heard this this proclamation from the angel. She couldn't possibly have seen a smooth path. She's going to think, oh, "What are my parents going to say? What's Joseph going to say? What are the girls down at the well going to say? I'm going to look like a hussy," and. And, uh, and, and so she can't possibly see a smooth path, but she embraces the coming discomfort. She steps into it for all it's worth. She accepted that there were going to be some uncomfortable, really awkward moments, but the purpose of God was transcendent. You know, and I, I run. I do, I run. I run. I run races. I used to run for a club. And when I ran for the club, we used to run cross-country and road races, and I was worried about how fast I was. How was my form? Did I look good? (laughs) Are my shoes contemporary? I was worried about speed. I was worried about those things. I was worried about the peripherals. Now I run longer races, and what I train for, instead of speed and things like that, is I train for discomfort. Because in those sorts of races, at some point, you're going to get to a stage where you're very uncomfortable, where things are hurting, where it's not going well. And so I train myself for those moments. How do we do that? How do we bring that back? We, we be prepared for the awkward. We be prepared for the discomfort. We get into relationships in life groups, connection with people where things like that happen all the time where we learn to navigate discomfort, where we learn to navigate the things that aren't necessarily favourable. You know, when when we're not going well, when we're not looking good, when we're not at our best, that we step into relationship with people and we embrace the discomfort of how that must look. Life groups prepares us for walking in discomfort. If you're not in one, So, be comfortable with discomfort. Number two, bet the farm. Sometimes you have to take a big risk. The early church did. You read in the book of Acts that those who had land and possessions sold everything they had and laid it at the apostles' feet so that nobody went without. Now, this sounds like communal living. It sounds like share and share alike. Everybody... Everybody's looked after. Kumbaya, one more time from the top. <laughs> but it's actually not. What, what they actually did was, was they cut off their own retreat. They said, okay, I'm going to sell everything, there's no way back. Sometimes you have to throw the dice. Sometimes you have to have a gamble and go with the unknown. You know, when you got saved, you got saved on a fragment of truth. You did, you got saved on it, you didn't know the whole story. You heard a snippet and you thought, that's good enough, I'm here. And sometimes when we pursue God's purpose, that's what we've got to be like. We've got to throw the dice. There's a, there's a snippet, a, a wormhole, and we've got to jump through it. Amen? I'm glad you think so. It was an indication of the early church's buy-in. Third thing moving quickly. Understand the emotions of being chosen. Have you ever been chosen for something? Ever been plucked from obscurity and and given a role that was really important? The emotions go like this. Oh, wow. Oh, Oh, good. Oh, jubilation to, hang on a minute. Am I actually up to this? Am I up to this? You know, everything is worthwhile doing. Everything that God asks you to do, draws you into will always be opposed. There'll always be opposition so that there is a choice whether you follow him or whether you don't, whether you move into what he has for you or whether you don't. When somebody comes up to you in church and this is how it can appear sometimes, how you move into your purpose in God and asks you to be something you know, maybe would you like to lead a tribe at youth? And you think, yeah, yeah, great, that's me. And then you, then you go home and you think about it. Oh, what if I fail? That's the, way, that's the way the emotional roller coaster goes. The important thing is to push through that feeling, to push through that feeling and take a gamble, take a, take a punt. And finally, the last thing, you have to understand the principle of the seed, when God starts to do something in your life, it never looks like the finished product. Yeah, he might give you a picture, a vision, something that lodges in your brain of where you're going to be in, say, 10 years. doesn't look like that straight away. When Pastor John was asked to run a Sunday school class back in the 1930s or whenever it was, <laughs> um, he probably didn't think, I'm going to be senior pastor one day. But he took that the seed was planted, and so he went up through the stages one by one, one by one, one by one, taking the next step, saying yes to God all the way along, and suddenly there he is, right there, in charge. So that, we've got to understand the principle of a seed. When God comes to us with purpose, it never looks like the finished product straight away. Yeah. I, So many people say to me, oh, I see myself speaking in big venues, big auditoriums. And so they go home and wait until that happens and eventually do nothing. Know what I mean? Yeah. When God moves in our lives, it comes in the form of a seed and that seed needs to be stewarded, needs to be looked after. Sometimes when you pray, God gives you the answer It never looks like the finished product. It'll most probably be an ordinary average place on an ordinary average day when something happens, a moment. It may be in conversation. You may be just driving your car. There'll be a moment that is filled with God. It will be an invitation. And how you respond to that invitation determines the movement of you into purpose will you dismiss it like zachariah how can that be it's me i can't do it how can i how can that be or will you embrace it like mary jump in no plan b no thought for the discomfort just that's mine and i'm going after it the moment may be coming just when you least expect it let's pray musos if you'd join me we were made to connect with God. We were made to jump into the story of God and into the process and in doing so, find our our own story. Lord God, this morning we're amazed at you. Your love is not logical. Your grace towards us is scandalous. Lord, you have so much for us. You have so much for us, Lord. We pray, Lord God, that you would lead us into it. If, You'd like to follow Jesus this morning. If you'd like to simply believe and receive all that he's done, that he who knew, sin, knew no sin became sin so that you could become right with God. If that's you this morning, then I'd quickly like to pray with you. You know who you are. This could be your day. Just show me a hand if that's you this morning. If not, we'll, we'll pray and close and move on. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for every life in this room, Lord God. We thank you for the plans and purposes that you have, Lord God. We thank you that you carved out something before the foundation of the world for each one of us, Lord God. And we just thank you that that, uh, you you planned individually for us, Lord God. We pray that, Lord, when the moments come, that we will be responsive to those things, Lord God, that we will embrace what you have, that we will walk in the way that you've chosen for us. In Jesus' name, we all say... Amen.